0: Good morning. It's a pleasure to worship the Lord with you all. Yeah. How good is it that God reigns and he's good? Like what a joy that puts in my heart to sing that the Lord reigns, that he is good. He loves us. And that's, uh, we can have total assurance of that always. So praise God, praise him for who he is and what he has given us in Christ Jesus Um, We do have one announcement after the service today, about 20, 30 minutes after. Get some coffee, get the morning tea, and then we will have a quarterly church meeting in the sanctuary here. So hang out for that if you can. Uh, All are welcome. Um, Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you have spoken, that you are speaking, and that you have the words of life. Where else shall we go? Lord, you are our life through Jesus Christ. And I pray that Um, We would be intentional in walking in your steps and following Jesus and denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily and following you. Lord, we thank you for every person here today. Thank you, Lord, for the, the love that you pour out through them upon all of us. Thank you for their gifts, for the offerings that they give. Lord, I pray that our lives would be an offering unto you. Our whole selves we would give to you to please and glorify and exalt your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for indwelling us and being with us here today. And I pray we would hear your voice and walk in obedience with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing you realize when you go to Israel is... Uh, things are not quite as far away as you thought. And then sometimes there's some that are much further away where you read in the Bible one sentence and it's like, they went from Jerusalem to Caesarea and you're like, Oh, okay. That was a bit of a journey. And the transportation would take a long time. It could take days, weeks, months, riding or um, walking, usually walking or taking a voyage on a ship to distant destinations. And, with all the advances of technology and transportation today, like we can travel massive distances that were impossible. It would be impossible to go from one place to another in such a short time. And we can do so in a padded seat in air conditioning and not even move a muscle, not even break a sweat. So what used to be totally impossible going from the United States to Australia in 13 or 14 hours, that What would be to them a miracle? To us, it happens for thousands of people every day. And it's pretty amazing what can happen. Um, Because of physics and engineering and precise manufacturing. I was reading, on average, a spacecraft can launch from Earth and land on the moon within three days. Traveling some 386,000 kilometers. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. And uh, it's like... There are things possible today that were, and just by in the physical realm, things possible that were impossible and unthinkable in the ancient times, but through the gospel, God has brought transformation and new life that was not possible under the law, nor could ever be possible because what Jesus has done is a miracle in making us born again through faith in him. It was impossible to keep the law of Moses and it exposed their sin, but it gave them no power to keep it. And Paul showed how the law remains in force until there's a law greater than it. Um, the law of sin and death reigned, but now the law of the spirit of life has overruled that for those who trust him. So, and a huge example uh, or the huge difference between the two of saying like, well, you have the, the law of gravity that keeps us earthbound. It's able to be overcome by aeronautics. The law of gravity sticks around the big difference. The huge difference is that um, the law of sin and death has been abolished. It's power broken over us who are in Christ. And now we live this new life through Christ. And God wants us to experience that new life, not just know it exists out there somewhere, but to actually experience the joy of the Lord, the victory over sin the power of God unto salvation daily that we have through Jesus. And so to, to uh, follow up in our passage where we start in chapter eight, if you want to turn there, Romans chapter eight, Paul had discovered a law. It wasn't written on tablets of stone, but he says, I've no, I've discovered this law that when I want to do good, evil is still in me. He had been forgiven He had been freed from the power of sin, but there was still this echo of sin. There was still this uh, tendency in his flesh towards sin. He delighted and desired to do good, but this tendency remained. And it battled against his mind. It was like arguing with him. He wanted to do what's right, he wanted to deny himself and follow Jesus, but there was this draw, there was this temptation. And he asked, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thank God we have victory and deliverance freely offered through Jesus, our Lord. So that's where we come to in Romans eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Because of what Jesus has done for born again, Christians, we are in him. There is therefore now no condemnation to us. Condemnation, it means to declare guilty and wrong, to doom to punishment. We have sinned. We have fallen woefully short of God's righteousness. We were rebellious enemies of God. We deserve death and eternal destruction. But since we are in Christ now, we have a new position. We have a new identity. We have God as our Father and Christ as the head of the church. We are in Christ. So there is no condemnation for us. And this was true yesterday. It's true today. And it's true forever. The penalty, the power of sin has been destroyed. And thus we are free of the guilt and the shame of the sin that we committed. Because we're dead to the law in Christ, the law cannot accuse us. It cannot condemn us anymore. If people try to use the law to guilt or to badger you, we're not under that weighty yoke. We're like, I'm not wearing that anymore because now I am in Christ and I am led by him to walk righteously. He is my righteousness. From what I've read, some of the older copies of this text, it stops at Christ Jesus. You wouldn't want to read this and it would kind of undermine his whole point up till now. If you continued on without taking other scriptures into context, that um, it would be inaccurate to say, our lack of condemnation is conditional upon good performance. Know that it's by the grace of God, what he has accomplished once and for all, that we, there is no condemnation. It's not like, well, you're not condemned if you're always good. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, there's no condemnation because we're in Christ Jesus. And we're no longer under law, but grace. And how awesome that is to know there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We were once in sin. Now we are in Christ. We're united with one. We're united with Christ. He is the head of the church, the body. And it's interesting. Some of the ideas or assumptions that we can have that are not scriptural. We may have heard it once, or we, we thought that's just how it was, but the Bible never told us. I I would get the idea or impression that some people would think, you know, God loves me because he loves Jesus and because I'm in Jesus, he loves me, but know that he loved you. He died for you while you were still a sinner. And he, he loves you now as a son, as a daughter. It's not that the father sees the sinner and he's bristling with rage and wrath and ready to destroy the sinner but Jesus is like meekly mildly oh father he or she is with me okay for your sake i won't destroy this sinner that's not a biblical view at all god has redeemed us he he loves us he delights in us he doesn't want to see us destroyed that's why he died in our place god loves us not just like he loves Jesus or less than Jesus, but has his adopted children that he loves more than his own life. And he proved that through his death. God is not going to rehearse the sins you committed in the past to guilt you or to shame you, the devil and the flesh love to do that. Other people may do that. God does not do that because when God looked at his people and he said, you know, these are a stiff necked people. And then he's like, I have seen no sin in Jacob. What sin? Because their sin was atoned for by the sacrifice and our sin has been atoned for. There will be no rehearsing of all your sins on judgment day, where all of your life is played before yourself and the world to shame you. And then, oh, but because of Christ, all this is forgiven. That has happened already. It's already been washed away. There is no record of these things because God has said, I will remember their sin no more. So he's saying, I haven't forgotten it, but I've chosen not to remember it because it's been washed clean. Sin, death. It's been abolished forever for these who receive me. You are his precious children. You are chosen. You are called. You are beloved. Why should you continue to beat yourself up for your sin that Jesus took a beating for Why try to punish yourself when God has taken your punishment upon himself, cleansed you of your sin and accepted you as his own. Reject the idea that you must try to redeem yourself now because you could never redeem yourself before or after Jesus has redeemed you. He is our redemption. Romans eight verse two for the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Up till now in the book of Romans, the Holy Spirit has only been mentioned a handful of times. In this chapter alone, the Holy Spirit's mentioned 19 times. So we are told through this passage, how God has given us the power of salvation through the spirit and also the power for sanctification through the indwelling spirit. And that's going to be a point of emphasis throughout this entire chapter. Faith is the way we receive the Holy spirit and we're born again. He's the one who regenerates us. So you can't have the Holy spirit without Christ in Christ. We are filled with the Holy spirit. And so we have this righteous standing with God forever. And we have the power of the Holy spirit who helps us to walk righteously today. He always leads us to walk godly and the law of the spirit of life in Christ has freed us from the law of sin and death. So we are now free from that law that once held us bound. I really like what Matthew Poole said of the law. He said, the law is weak to us because we are weak to it. The sun cannot give light to blind eye. Not from any impotency in itself, but merely from the incapacity of the subject it shines upon. So it's not that the sun is weak or it doesn't provide light that someone who has impaired vision cannot see. It's the weakness of the person, not the weakness of the sun. So he's saying the law, it's good, but it wasn't able to cure our blindness. It wasn't able to raise us from spiritual death and damnation, but Jesus is, he is the light of the world. He opens the eyes, of the blind. He gives life to those who are dead. As Joshua was enabled to do what Moses could not do to cause the people to enter the promised land and to subdue their enemies and find rest. So Jesus did for us what the law could never do. The law couldn't save us because of our inability to keep it. So God sent his own son in the form of sinful flesh, though, without sin, he put on a human body to condemn and to destroy sin to save sinners. So that's why he has come. You can never obtain freedom from the law through the law. There has to be something greater than that, who has now abolished that so that we have now a new law in operation, the law of spirit of life. So Jesus, he pronounced judgment upon sin and he killed it with his own death and his success was proved through his resurrection. When you see Jesus on a cross in a depiction, like a picture, know that it's, it's sending many messages to us. We see a man, a sinless man suffering for the sins of the world in atoning sacrifice offered for us. As believers, we look upon him and we say, you know, my old man died that day. The old fleshly me, the corrupt person that I was in this flesh died with him, died to sin and died to the law. And also when you see that bloody death, you see what Jesus did to sin's power over you, that it was crucified with him, that it was killed. He killed sin dead. So it has no power over us anymore. I mean, this is amazing what God has done. Not only have we been saved from death, he now credits us as righteous. We're filled with the power of the Holy spirit to walk in the way that pleases God. And we have a capacity now when he, when God said, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Do you think you can do that by trying hard all the time? Well, no, but since we have the Holy spirit now, we can actually begin to love God. Like he loves us because he's put his love within us. We have now a desire and ability that was not there before to love God, to serve him. We have now a new supply of spiritual power. We never had before. We keep living in this physical body, but we are made new. We're raised to new life in Christ So there are two basic ways of living, living according to the flesh, the desires and the ambitions of the flesh that is drawn towards sin or to live according to the spirit. There's this spiritual change that has happened in a person who is born again. That's more dynamic and more amazing than going from a horse and buggy to a modern car. So like the horse and buggy, you have a couple of, maybe two or four, a team of horses in front of it. It pulls it along. Now we have cars under the bonnet. There's hundreds of horsepower powered by petrol or electricity. And we could see how silly and dangerous it would be and ineffective to put a couple of horses in front of a Tesla, kind of tie a rope around them and have them pull that car around to get anywhere. Like that would just be ridiculous. It'd be silly. It'd be dangerous to the horses. You'd be stopping traffic. You wouldn't really go anywhere. I don't know even know how long they could pull it because it's really heavy. It's a lot heavier than a a buggy. So there's this new power that's operational and available to us as Christians, the Holy Spirit of God who now empowers us to walk in his ways. We shouldn't be relying on the flesh to do what only the spirit can do. That's like hitching up a couple of horses to a car to pull it. Remember when God judged King Nebuchadnezzar for his pride and for seven years, his reason left him. He became like a beast. He was living in the field. He, he was a man, but over time, he actually began to resemble an animal, a strange animal. It said that he was eating grass He, he had dreadlocks that looked like feathers. His, his nails overgrew. So they were curved like claws and he's scrabbling around on the ground. And people are like, Oh, don't look at the King (laughs) kind of keeping him out of doors. But God caused his reason to return to him. How big was his transformation at that point? Instead of crawling around and, and scampering in the, on the grass with clothes like ribbons. He's like, I looked up and I praised God. I extolled him because he is mighty and anyone who walks in pride, he is able to debase and he glorified God with his life. He never went back to the field. He never said, you know, it was great when I had those claws and that unkempt hair, that was the life. No, that's how his flesh was causing him to live without understanding. But then he came to himself because God visited him. God helped him. His renewed mind glorified God And before Christ, we used to live according to our old instincts. We would just go after whatever we saw. We would pursue whatever we felt like, but now we have wisdom and strength from God. And in Christ, we can be spiritually minded. We have the mind of Christ. We are now living in consideration of God and what he has said, what he's promised his word and wisdom opposite. This though is worldly wisdom fleshly values that ignore God, to be self-focused, to be self-absorbed, to assert ourselves, but to be spiritually minded is to humble ourselves, to submit to God. And we learn here that the fleshly mind, the carnal mind is enmity against God. And that's a good description. It's the quality of being an enemy, the opposite of friendship, ill will, hatred, unfriendly malevolence, a state of opposition. So that's the natural mind. It's an enemy of God. It's opposed to God. It's unfriendly towards God. And so he says, let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. We can choose to be in that mind or we can continue to follow our fleshly uh, impulses or desires without thinking of God. When Joshua said, choose this day, whom you will serve either the idols of Egypt or the ones you've been carrying around all this time or choose to serve the Lord. They had a choice. And in Christ, we also have a choice. If we will follow the dictates of our flesh, if we will be, if we will choose to listen to temptations or the devil's lies, or if we will be spiritually minded, the mind of Christ living by faith, it's possible to please God. And this is amazing. It was impossible before Colossians 1, 21 and 22. It says, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. This is who he has made us to be. Christianity is not just about doing good. It's about what God has made us to be. And thus out of that identity in being in Christ, he makes us holy. He has made us righteous. So how can we know if we're living according to the flesh or the spirit? I recall in year eight biology, we were learning about genetics and we were each given a small rectangle of PTC paper. Has anyone else done this test to see if you're a taster or a non taster so anyway, it's coated with this chemical that when you put it on your tongue, some people can taste it, about 75% of people. And it tastes bad. Uh, it was a very bad test for me, a bad tasting test. It was painless, but like, ugh, I don't want to eat that. But 25% can't taste anything. This was, a, this was a bit of a shock to me that like you can be tasting the same thing, but one person that can't even taste it, but someone else, they're like, oh, get that out of my mouth. That's disgusting. And I was one of those, but so he provides this very easy test. Like, can you taste this or can you not taste this very easy to administer? Are you minding the flesh or Christ? Who are you minding? What do you often think about? What grabs your attention? What sort of ambitions or desires? We take very few actions without actually thinking. Like we often thinking is part of our thought, our thought process is very much connected to the things that we're doing. Because if we didn't think to do it, we probably wouldn't have done it. Right? Like if your body says, I am hungry, then I can choose if I'm going to eat or not. And I can choose what I want to eat or what's available to eat. And we use our minds to think over, well, what do I have in the fridge? Or what are we having for dinner? Or when did I last eat? We start Putting these together. Do, do I want something that is going to give me a sugar rush? Or do I want something that's going to be more protein? And so we make these decisions before we open our mouths. We formulate desires, our intent. We take action accordingly. And it's a place where memories flood back. Thoughts are processed where knowledge can prompt us to being grieved or to be joyful, to be glad or bitter And in Christ, we have the freedom now and the wisdom to know what is good and to know, you know, that will never satisfy me. I've been down that road. I have lived like a beast before where I was just led by my lust and I was in bondage to sin and I'm not going there again. God help me. And instead, I'm going to do these things that please him. Now the unregenerate, they don't have this kind of battle that's going on their head because God is in none of their thoughts. But because God is in us, we're not just thinking about Him, He's in us. He's speaking with us, He's guiding us, and He's helping us. He is empowering us to do what is right. And so we can walk in victory, even though indwelling sin tries to bring us back into subjection, tries to woo us back, tantalize us in some way. We can say, No, I have Christ, and in Him I am satisfied. So who or what am I minding? Who am I obeying right now? Romans eight, verse nine, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Having been born again by the Holy spirit, we are in the spirit and the spirit dwells in us. And again, Paul makes two categories of people here. Those who are born again by faith in Christ who have the spirit and those who do not have the spirit in them. Verse 11, notice that it calls the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, showing that both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are part of the triune Godhead. Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit at conversion. Like if you are a Christian, you have Christ. If you've been born again, you have Christ. That's the only way you could be born again through the Holy Spirit. And we are also encouraged to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Like in Ephesians 5, 18. And this is what Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 16 for all Christians. He says to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our father give the Holy spirit to those who ask him so we can be filled. You don't have to go, am I filled or not? Well, if you are born again, you have the spirit in you. If you do not, if you're not, if you do not have the spirit in you, then you are not born again. You are not a Christian. Um, the baptism of the Holy spirit, the subsequent fillings of the Holy spirit that is freely on offer for all who thirst and draw near to him. If we are thirsty, let us come to Jesus and drink in acts two, Peter affirmed the gift of the fullness of the spirit. It's for Jews. It's to all generations. It's for Gentiles and all those God calls. And Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink and out of our belly will flow rivers of living water Speaking of the spirit, verse 11, it says, since Christ is in us, the body is dead due to sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So this affirms you're still living in that same body. You're still eating food to get energy because we're living in a physical world, but you now live on a new power source of the Holy spirit rather than your willpower or the strength of your flesh. Should we continue to depend upon ourselves for daily living? We will not experience the spiritual life, the fruitfulness and fulfillment that Jesus intends. We find only in him. And since we have the Holy spirit through faith in Jesus, we can have confidence that God will help us. Even as we know, he will raise us from the dead at the day of judgment, or we'll be caught up to meet him, meet our Lord in the air. So you have an assurance of salvation. Well, know that you have an assurance of his power now for godly living in the moment when that decision comes, when that temptation is so great and you failed a hundred times before, know that in Christ, you have strength in the Holy spirit. You have guidance and help in time of need. Continuing in verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live for as many as are led by the spirit of God. These are the son. These are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out Abba father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I'm sure everyone here knows the feeling of obligation. You feel an obligation to do something, to go somewhere. Um, Things that you would rather not do. Like, well, it's, I'm obliged to do that. Or it's, it's my obligation. It's my duty to go to that family event that I would rather be have over or to go to that uh, meeting that I'm, I'm obligated to attend as a member. I have to be at this meeting. I don't want to be at the meeting, but I have to be there. Uh, I think of kids. They would much rather uh, play games than do their chores. Would you agree? You'd much rather have your favorite dessert than your hated vegetable. Sure, yeah, we would, but it's like, If you want to have your favorite dessert, you you are obligated to eat that vegetable. You're like, oh, but you get through it because you're looking ahead, right? There's tons of things that we, we do things we're obligated to do because we want to get to the thing we want to do. And we could be moved by feelings like, well, I owe him one. He helped me before. So yes, it's inconvenient, but I need to help him too. And one hand washes the other But before Christ, our flesh, it was leading us to ruin. And so he's like, you're not indebted to the flesh for anything. You're not indebted to this world for anything. You owe God. You are indebted to him. Your obligation is to serve and honor and glorify him. He's your father now. And if you say, Abba, father, if you say, if you call God, your father, that's by the Holy spirit. It's by the Holy spirit in you. You could even say that or imagine that's possible but we know that it's not even possible or probable, but it is the truth because we are in Christ. We're debtors to God and not the flesh because our flesh was leading us to ruin. But now through the Holy spirit, the sacrifice of Christ, we've been born again. We have this sure hope of heaven, a fleshly mind. It's a bit like an abusive ex partner who will do or say anything to try to rekindle the old romance. And if we don't respond to the sweet talk, well, the flesh turns a bit nasty, tries to put our, our past guilt or our sin, maybe to make us afraid. And we have to realize the flesh is all for itself. You are not your body. You're more than a body. He has redeemed you who are living in that body. He's going to give you a new body someday. You don't owe that body anything as far as that you are now bound, you are obligated to serve it. No, we serve the Lord who's redeemed us, not the flesh anymore. Not that old way of thinking. Like in the Godfather movie who made offers that people couldn't refuse, you know, every offer, every request, Every demand the flesh puts upon you, you can happily refuse because God is your father and the spirit of Christ dwells within you. So you can say no, and you can be happy about it and not in fear. By the spirit of God, we can put to death the deeds of the body and we can experience an abundant life that Christ has prepared for us, that he is for us. We've received the spirit of adoption rather than the spirit of bondage where you now have a new father. You are in a relationship with God now as his beloved child, every sin, every addiction that once made you a slave, the power of God has executed it and we need not be wooed back again. We don't have to listen to the echoes of the flesh that beg us back to bed. I think of Potiphar's wife tempting Joseph. She's like, come to bed with me. And he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He said no to sinning by the power of the Holy spirit. And so can we, he was a man in whom the spirit dwelt. Pharaoh could see it later on the line and we can see it. David. He is also a man filled with the Holy spirit, but he followed the folly of listening to the flesh Right? He was operating in a fleshly mind when he was on the rooftop and he's watching this. He's he's looking out the window and whoa, there's someone bathing out there. What did he do? He made inquiries. He sent messengers. He summoned her to his house. He brought her into his bed. He slept with her and she was a married woman. And when he, when he found out she was pregnant, what did he do? He was afraid that someone would find out. So he concocted a plan to to have Uriah go home. And if he was intimate with his wife, well, then they could think that baby was theirs, but that wasn't working. Uriah was a very honorable, devout man. And so he killed him indirectly, but he killed him to hide it. Had he been walking in the spirit, had he been listening to the Holy spirit when he was walking on that roof, he could have said no to sin. He could have confe- turned from that, image, confessed his lustful looks before the Lord and seek God for forgiveness. That was very possible in the power of the spirit, but in the power of the flesh, he followed that rabbit hole to ruin and it led to death. We know where the, we have the Holy spirit because he bears witness. We are the children of God. God is not some distant relative you just heard about. No, he dwells in us. We know him and he knows us. It's not by a gut feel- feeling we know this, but verse 14 it says we're led by the spirit of God. So rather than following our natural impulses, we have godly desires that we never had before. Galatians 3:26 it tells us objectively, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's why we're sons of God because of Jesus, not because we deserve it, not because we're perfect. It's because he is. And verse 17, it says, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We have an eternal inheritance offered us, not by anything we do, but, but because of who Jesus has made us to be children of God by faith in him. It's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. It's not about crowns and uh, mansions or money. He says, you're co-heirs with Christ. All that I have is yours. You're like, wow. And he's like, even, even him, right? We're one with him. It's so awesome. We have this living hope suffering with Christ. We know we will be glorified together. Now notice, um, let's see, make sure that I'm got this right. So at the end there, uh, it says in verse 17, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Notice that it does not say suffer for Jesus. Suffer with him. If you suffer, he suffers. He is willing to suffer with you. He has shown that through his death and he is with us. He suffers with us. He knows exactly what we're going through. We don't have to explain anything to him as if he doesn't know he continues to bear our burdens every day. And so we can rest assured and have confidence in his love, in his presence, and that in our pains, he has redemptive purposes that he will fulfill our call is to trust and obey him. Let's go to Romans 18, 8, 18 uh, to verse 21. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory, which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. In the scripture, we see many examples of suffering people faced, whether it's being hated, persecuted, mocked, imprisoned, even being killed. Stephen was stoned for the wisdom of God that spoke through the Holy Spirit through spoke through him, the wisdom of God. And it said, it cut the hearers to the heart. And he says, when I look at the present sufferings, which were really intense and severe that caused the the Jews to scatter into the known world. He says, when I compare those sufferings to the glory that will be revealed in us, And I would say even the glory revealed in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's no comparison. The sufferings are like nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed, not even comparable. So the benefit of being a child of God was infinitely better than any amount of suffering could take the shine off of. We say of suffering like, oh, that's heavy, right? You know, something sobering. Oh, that's a heavy thought. Well, it's nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that we have in God. Let's just turn to two Corinthians four, six through 10. We'll finish with this passage, two Corinthians four, six through 10. In our, we wonder sometimes what God is doing or why he waits when we're desperate for help and suffering, we're struggling, we're experiencing pain. Well, This gives us some insight into that. 2 Corinthians 4 6 For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure and earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. We look forward to seeing Jesus face to face. I certainly do, but know that when we suffer as children of God, the power that raised Jesus from the dead causes the life of Christ to be manifested in your body to the world, to other believers. They get to see Jesus in you. His glory shines through you in the midst of suffering. Now all creations awaiting the day when Jesus will be revealed He will one day separate his people from the unbelievers, even as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. That revelation of, of God will also mean the revelation of his people to the world and to all creation that awaits this great unveiling. And, philosophers, even Solomon it's like vanity of vanities. All is vanity. The world was subjected to futility. You're like, I'm in this rat race. You know, why, why do we even bother? What's the point? And people have been asking, what's the point of life? This is God's doing. He subjected the world to vanity for his own purpose and plan to provide hope for everyone, to show that he is the meaning of life. He is the purpose of life. He is the source of all life. He is eternal life and he gives it freely to all who trust in him. And so we struggle. We struggle over things we can't understand, whether it be a war or a tragedy, sickness, poverty, and death. And you may say, why has God allowed suffering and struggles in my life? Why am I still battling this old temptation and, and wonder when will I be free of this body of death? Well, praise the Lord through Jesus who has come. He has redeemed us. He has delivered us from the curse of sin. We have the freedom right now that all creation is crying out to have. That freedom is ours in Christ. Oh, that we would know how much God loves us. That we would understand what he has given and what he has done for us. That we would realize that the glory of God is to shine through us. And this glorious liberty and hope he has already given us. Let's walk in his way rather than going back to living according to the flesh, according to this world. So are you minding the flesh or the spirit? And by the power of the spirit, I exhort you let's put to death the deeds of the flesh so we can live sanctified lives as God's children. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can call you father, that the almighty creator of the earth, you bow down your ear to hear us. And you have also come down to earth in the person of Jesus and died in our place. And you have been raised to eternal glory. And you didn't stop there because you've sent your spirit to fill us, to regenerate us, to give us a living hope and victory over sin today. Thank you that you accomplished it. And I pray that your light would shine through each one of our lives, Lord, that your risen life, your glorious power, your joy, your, your peace, would flood through our lives, that that living water that you filled us with would refresh others. And we would be strengthened in faith to follow you and to trust you to walk in your ways. And I pray Lord that, that you would help these truths to sink into our hearts, not just as a theoretical or philosophical idea, but a reality of what you've done, who you are and who we are in you. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.